One of the expressions that we rarely use for the Bible is the law of freedom. Uh, When was the last time you said, I forgot my law of freedom? Or when have you heard the pastor say, please open your law of freedom with me this morning? We don't use that expression very often. Yet, do you know this was a favorite expression for the Word of God by the Apostle James? In fact, he is the only one to use this expression. He said in James 1.25 that the Bible is the law of liberty or the law of freedom. Now, doesn't that seem like an oxymoron to us? Uh, doesn't law and freedom seem like a contradiction? Uh, I mean, uh, when we think of law, we think of something that's restrictive, confining, oppressive. But freedom is totally opposite. Freedom seems to us to be liberating, doesn't it? Expansive and freeing. How is it then that these two words, which separately seem different to us, come together as one of the most beautiful expressions for the Word of God? Well, I I think the answer is this. Law gives freedom because it protects us from the things that can destroy. And when we are protected from what destroys, we are free to find the very best in life. And that's why James calls the Bible the law of freedom. Um, We could liken it this morning to um, my desire to play the piano. When I was a a little boy, my mother gave me uh, two options. She said, at eight years of age, you can take piano lessons for a year, And then after a year, you can decide if you want to continue or if you want to quit. Guess what I did after a year? I quit. How many of you would like to hear me play the piano today? Well, that makes me feel bad. I want to tell you that. But because I threw off the laws of scales and lessons, I only have freedom today in one finger. Well, you you get it, all right. So I would love to be able to play beautiful music today like we heard but I can't. Now what James is saying to us then is the Bible is like those scales, that lesson, that practice. When you accept the Word of God as your teacher, you learn and grow. As you learn and grow, you discover the perfect will of God. And in the will of God, we find freedom to become all that God wanted us to become. We can make beautiful music with life because the Master is now in control. So the question for us today is, 
how. How do we accept the law of freedom as our teacher? Well, as we continue our series in the book of James, that's exactly what James wants to teach us. Uh, We want to continue this message that ends the first chapter of James on how to get the most from your Bible. And this morning, I want you to turn with me to James chapter 1, and let me begin reading starting at verse 22. James chapter 1, should I say today, let's open our law of freedom? And let me read for you what he says to us. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. How many of us men did this this morning? For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the law of freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now what is the test of somebody who is a a doer of the word? Well, look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, there's that word deceive again. This person's religion is worthless. The Bible does them no good. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Let's bow in prayer. Father, what a wonderful treasure we hold in our hands. It is the perfect law that gives freedom. But Lord, unless we handle this word properly, consistently, obediently, it will not do the work that you intended it to do. We sang as we began about the importance of the illuminating ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we're so thankful that this is an internal work that takes place as the Spirit of God takes the things of Christ, shows them to us, and then transforms our life. But now, Lord, we have our part to play. Help us to understand today how to get the most from our Bibles. For Jesus' sake, amen. The last time we were together and looking at this, we saw that James is essentially teaching us two very important principles. The first one, he says, is that the Bible is like seed, and it has to grow in soil that has been prepared. Now today, as we continue along, James says the Bible is like a mirror. 
And it requires careful use. That's what he wants us to see today. Now, we notice as we begin to read these verses, starting in verse 22, that the key concept is God's Word is like a mirror. Uh, James uses that in verse 23. And then in verses 23 to 25, three different times, he talks about looking into the Bible like we would look into a mirror. Why is the Bible a mirror? Well, it's a mirror because it reflects the truth about us. Uh, By the way, isn't this a wonderful illustration of exactly what James is talking about? The artist here has done such a great job in illustrating what James is talking about as this young woman looks into the Bible, she sees a reflection of herself. She sees who she is. She sees what Jesus Christ has done for her. She sees what He can do to transform her into the person He wants her to be. This is exactly what James is describing. Uh, One of the uh, greatest uh, statements about the Bible that I've ever read came from a Christian woman by the name of Eleanor Doan, and she said this, I have read many books... But the Bible reads me. Isn't that true? I read many books, but the Bible reads me. And so to get the most from our Bibles, we have to use it like a mirror. Now, in verses 23 and 24, James tells us how not to use the mirror of God's Word. He says, a mirror is designed to reflect how we look so we can make adjustments. Those changes cannot be made if we simply look into it but don't do anything about it. Um, James here very vividly portrays the problem by using men as an example. The term man in verse 23, whoever uh, is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, then looks at himself and goes away. That word man in the original language is actually the special word for male. This is how a male uses a mirror. Don't we understand this, man? Somebody understands it. A man looks in a mirror. He says, oh, that looks good enough. And away he goes. All right? He walks off and forgets what he has seen. Women, on the other hand, they're much more careful about their appearance, aren't they? Now, I have to be very, very careful here, or I'm going to get myself in some trouble. And uh, so, um, I asked Ellen this question so that uh, I would not get in trouble. I said to Ellen, who spends more time in front of a mirror? Men or women. You know what she said? 
She said it depends on the person. That was a good answer, wasn't it? But then, she confessed. Usually it's women, she said. (laughs) You can see how careful I'm being, right? That was Ellen's answer. Now, I want you to notice here what James says. If we approach the Word of God like a typical male, we are deceiving ourselves. The word deceive here, very serious word. It means to cheat. It has the idea of to deceive by false reasoning. Here is the idea. We can say to ourselves, because I know what the Bible says, everything is okay. But God can never be pleased with that, can He? Remember what Jesus said in John 13, 17? He said, if you know these things... Blessed are you if you do them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. See, one of the greatest tragedies in all of life is when we know the Bible, but we don't live by it. Maybe that's us today. We grew up in church... We know God's Word. Maybe we've accepted Christ as our Savior. But our lives remain unchanged. Maybe these types of things are true of us. We still have the same temper that we've always had. Maybe we're just as impatient as we've always been when we have to wait on others. Maybe uh, we're just as controlling as we've ever been. Or maybe when others upset us, we're just as quick to say words that are cutting, wounding, and inflaming, rather than words that are seasoned by grace so that they help and that they heal. Am I describing me today? Am I describing you? If those things continue to be true of us, and we are constantly exposed to the Bible, then what's happening is, we're like a man who walks up to a mirror, looks in it, walks away, and continues to have a dirty face. That's how not to use the Word of God. Now, James is such a practical teacher here, and he's so helpful. He goes from how not to use the Bible to how to use it. And I'm so grateful for this. Look at what he says as to how we are to use this perfect law of freedom. First of all, notice, we are to look into it carefully. Look into it carefully. You noticed three times in verse 23, 24, and 25, James uses the word look, look, look. 
The first two words mean to fix one's eyes upon, to consider attentively. The third word in verse 25 looks into the perfect law is a word that means to stoop down, to look intently, to look into with the body bent forward. All of us know what this is like when we get an eyelash caught in our eye, don't we? When you get an eyelash caught in your eye, you go to the mirror, you get as close as you can, you may even have to bend over a little bit until you find that eyelash that is caught and then you carefully get it out. Now that's what James is saying. We are to do the same with God's Word. Did you know there are only six things you can do with the Bible? Only six. You can hear it. You can read it. You can study it. You can memorize it. You can apply it. And you can share it. Those are the only six things that can be done with the Bible. And what James is saying to us is a person who is serious about God is serious about God's Word. Uh, By the way, how, how do you think we are doing in America today looking carefully into God's Word? How do you think we're doing Uh, Some time ago, um, five classes of high school seniors were given a a Bible test. So these are 18-year-olds. They're adults. They're getting ready to move on into uh, adult world. They're going to need the Bible very much. And so these five classes were tested on the Bible. How do you think they did? Well, let me give you some of their answers. Uh, This was apparently multiple choice. They said, Sodom and Gomorrah were lovers. The Gospels were written by Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. Eve was created from an apple. And the stories of Jesus are called parodies. Now get this, 80 plus percent could not fill in the blank of very common statements in the Bible. For example, here was one, many are called but few are blank, chosen. A soft answer turns away blank, wrath. They could not fill in those blanks. Now we might say, well, this is, um, you know, this is the younger generation perhaps, and they haven't had the seasoning that we have. So how do you think uh, adult Americans beyond 18 have done? A Gallup poll revealed these things. 60% of Americans do not know what the Holy Trinity is. 66% of Americans do not know who preached the Sermon on the Mount. 79% of Americans could not name one single Old Testament prophet. You know what it reminds me of? Reminds me of the little boy who was asked 
What are the epistles? He said those were the wives of the apostles. But it seems as though that's where we're at today. By the way, I read this uh, statement the other day, and it really intrigued me. How much time does it take to read from Genesis to Revelation? If you were to start at Genesis and read all the way through Revelation, and just read straight through, how much time would it take? Are you ready? If you read at pulpit rate speed, Pulpit rate speed, by the way, is a very slow rate because you are reading every word so everyone can hear and understand. That is a very slow way to read. If you read at pulpit rate speed, 70 hours to read from Genesis to Revelation. Now think about this. You break that down into minutes per day, over 365 days in a year, 12 minutes a day to read the entire Bible. Now think about this. In the same year, we will spend 2,000 hours working, 3,000 hours sleeping, 550 hours eating, some of us more, some of us less on that one, 1,500 hours watching the TV, 70 hours to read through the whole Bible. See, we need to look into it carefully. Notice secondly, James tells us that we need to do something about it continually. We need to do something about it continually. He is telling us here that a mirror is given so that we can make adjustments. And if we look into a mirror, but we don't do anything, it will do us no good. So instead, we are to look into the mirror of God's Word, and notice in verse 25, we are to persevere in it. We are to persevere in it. Now that is a very important word here. It means to continue in an activity... It means to remain in, to keep on, to persevere in anything. So the idea here is, we are to continually make efforts to obey. What we might say is we are to seek to make application of God's Word. Sometimes the Bible explains itself. And here's a case where that happens. We see this where, okay, I'm to persevere as I look into the law of liberty. What does that mean? Did you notice in the next phrase, verse 25, James explains it? What does it mean to persevere? Well, look what he says. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. That's the meaning of persevere. Not being a hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. There was an old-time Bible teacher by the name of James Ropes. He explained this in this way. Somebody who perseveres by looking into the law of liberty, the law of freedom, is a doer who does. A doer who does. 
This past week, I, I reviewed an old article that caught my attention once again. And this article would catch your attention if you saw this headline. Half of churched teens do not apply Bible knowledge. Now, would that catch your attention? It caught mine. And this is what these young people said when they were questioned. This was a number of young people who grew up in church, and they described their church experience as being a positive part of their lives. Aren't we glad to hear that? Nine out of ten said this. Their churches taught them, in their experience, Bible stories. Ninety-five percent said, we know the Bible stories about Moses, Abraham, Joshua. Ninety-two percent said, the uh, church experience taught them about the lives of great people in the Bible. And eighty-nine percent, almost nine out of ten, said, their church gave them fun experiences related to religion. By the way, I believe that church ought to be fun. Church was fun for me growing up. So this is the good news. You ready for the not so good news? Now these are young people who said church was positive for us. We enjoyed church. We learned lots of stories. We learned about great people in the Bible. But listen to what they said next. Only half, 53%, said their church experience helped them understand the Bible enough so that they could make decisions based on biblical principles. Doesn't that break your heart? Half of these young people were saying, we never learned to understand the Bible well enough so that we could make our decisions based upon biblical principles. Do you understand that's exactly what James is talking about? James here is talking about reading the Bible, discovering its principles, and then acting on those principles so our lives can be changed. And half of the young people in this article said, we never learned how to do that. Do you know the Bible teaches us how you do this? The Bible says this happens through meditating. In fact, keep your finger here and go back with me to Joshua chapter 1 for a moment. And I want you to notice a verse that you almost have to say, James is quoting this from Joshua 1.8. Because Joshua gave us the key to doing this back in Joshua 1.8. Look at what he was told by the Lord. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Doesn't that sound like what James is talking about? Be a doer who does. And then he says, you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. 
If you were to say to me, Pastor Brian, what does it mean to meditate on the Bible? I think the simplest way I would say is meditation is essentially asking the Bible questions. And as you ask the Bible questions, you then meditate on the answers that the Bible gives until those answers become a biblical principle in your mind. And then you make your decisions based on that principle. That's what meditating is all about. By the way, what questions should we ask as we're studying the Bible? Well, I think we ought to ask these. What sin must I avoid that will keep us from evil and wrong? What command must I obey that will keep us doing what is true and right? And then we are to ask, what promise can I claim that will give us hope and inspiration? And then as we study our Bibles, we must always ask, what actions must I take? Because it reminds us that knowledge always requires action. That's the process of meditating. That is being a doer who does. Now look at thirdly. Thirdly, James says, if we do this, we will enjoy the difference, certainly. Look at the last phrase of verse 25. He will be blessed in his doing. He will be blessed in his doing. James says, you will be blessed. Do you know in the Bible, blessing is often associated with fruitfulness and productivity? The Bible says that after God created Adam and Eve, He blessed them, and then He said to them, be fruitful and multiply. In the Bible, blessing is always connected with fruitfulness and productivity. Now, the phrase here then is very important. This one will be blessed in his doing. In doing, there is blessing. You see, the life of doing what we know from the Word of God leads to growth and it leads to maturity. And a life of growth and maturity is a life that is blessed. Think about our own lives here this morning. As we obey the Word, we become a giver. And not just a taker. As we obey the word, we become productive and not destructive. As we let the word transform us, we become a blessing rather than simply a grief. Our life is lived in harmony with others rather than in hassling with others. We become forgiving instead of bitter. We become wise instead of foolish. The blessing is found in the doing. Tomorrow morning, 
our college students will start their first day of classes. And they will sit under instruction from very capable teachers for an entire semester. But every college student knows this. They know that uh, the real test of whether they have learned anything comes at what time? I know it's painful to say, but it comes at exam time. Did you know James understands that principle? He is such a practical teacher of God's Word that he's not going to close us down now and everybody say, okay, I've got it. Look into it carefully. Do something about it continually. Enjoy the difference. Certainly, I'm going to go. I got it. You know what he does? He gives us a little test. He rounds out this portion. Have I prepared my heart so that I can receive the seed? Am I looking carefully into the Word as He is described so that I can be transformed? Now you know what He does? He closes. with three tests of a Bible's usefulness. How many of us would like me to close the sermon right now? This test will go very fast, I promise you. But there's a sense in my heart. (laughs) I don't want the test. I don't want to see after what has it been since I've been a Christian now, 40 years, whether I'm really being changed by the law of freedom. Let me just give it to you, and then we'll close. Number one, if our Bible is really doing us any good, we will be growing in self-control. Look at verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, there's that word deceive again. We're looking into the mirror, but we're walking away and doing nothing, so we're deceiving ourselves. If anyone does not bridle his tongue after being exposed time and time again to the Word of God, this person's religion is worthless. Number one thing that will happen, self-control. And the biggest pointer to self-control in our lives is this right here. This right here. We'll be chattering less. We'll be more careful in what we say. We'll use tact. Wisdom, because the Bible is changing us. Number two in the test. We will be growing in service. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows 
in their affliction. What is he saying? When the Bible is changing us, we become more aware of the hurting and needy. We become more compassionate, less absorbed in ourselves, and more concerned about those around us. And then we do something about it. Here's the third test. Thirdly, we will be growing in separation from sin. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to keep oneself unstained from the world. We will be more aware of what pleases God and more aware of what displeases Him. And while we will never be perfect, more and more and more, we will be doing what pleases the Father. Let me ask you, how are we doing? What does this test say? Some of us would say today, you know, God has sure changed my life. Man, if you knew me just even five years ago and where I'm at today. All of us today, all of us would say, I've come a long way. But I still have a long way to go. And this book and its work in my life is the key to that transformation. Let's let the law of freedom change us, huh? Let's do that. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I pray for that person who may not have the Holy Spirit living within them at this very moment. They never crossed over from death unto life. And as a result, the Word of God is like a closed and foreign book to them. Lord, while I'm speaking to Christians today as James is, I pray for that soul that has yet come to the place of knowing You. And I pray that by Your drawing them here to this service today, they will want to be sure that they've come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit has indwelt them and now is in the process of illuminating their minds 
to receive the eternal truth of the Word of God. I pray, Lord, for others of us who perhaps are playing games in our Christian life. If we were to take that same test that was given to those high school seniors, we might discover that while we have been in church for many years, we have learned very little. Lord, all of us today understand that the Word of God is is like an ocean, shallow enough for a little child to wade in, yet deep enough for an elephant to be completely lost in. And we know this side of glory, we will never plumb the depths of the Word of God. And the transformation process continues until the day we see Jesus. May we not be content. May we not assume that we have arrived. May we not convince ourselves that there are no more rough edges that I need to have smoothed off. There's no more dirt in the mirror that I need to deal with. May we always know that when we come to the Bible, it is fresh, it is new, it is real, it is true. And it does its work in all who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We love you, Lord, today. You have saved us, forgiven us, granted us a home in heaven and given us Your eternal Word, which is able to build us up in our most holy faith. Thank You today for it. Help us to use it carefully. For Jesus' sake, Amen.